We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Luke chapter 11, and today we've got a, a really, really heavy study before us, you guys. Um, you know, um, it's, about, it's about demons. It's about knowing the enemy. It's about knowing not only our enemy, but also our ally, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about really listening to the Lord, and it's about really living for the Lord. You know, I don't know if any of you caught the special, um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, it was on Channel 7, about um, these guys that are exercising demons. Did any of you guys see that uh, special? Uh, these are really things that are happening uh, in this world that we live in. I think many times we're oblivious to the fact that many times, you know, behind this problem, this situation, this struggle that an individual is having is that there are demons behind it. They're not behind every door, but they're behind many doors. And unless we're ready to, you know, to face this and to really, you know, walk by faith and to just ask God that he would empower us, you know, then these people will continue to be caught up in the bondage and captivity and then they will die and go to hell because we were not really willing to come forward and say, God, empower my life so that you would use me to save them. You see, and it's one thing to watch this on Channel 7, you know, and we get some information there, but it's totally another thing to be able to open up the Bible and say, okay, what does God's Word have to say about these things? And so the Lord, He teaches us a lot today, a real heavy study uh, in this area of demons and our enemy, our ally, listening and living for the Lord. Because look what it says in verse 14. It says, and He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. If you read the Gospels, you guys know that the Lord did this often. He would often cast out demons. Here we see Jesus doing what He did so well, with his love and with his authority. Now this particular demon we see kept a man from speaking. The man could not speak. It made him mute. And so when Jesus cast out the demon, the man was then able to speak. And so as a result of this, we read right there in verse 14 that the multitudes marveled. And in looking at that, we see that there was also some other people. It says in verse 15, but some others said... You know what? The only way he does this is, man, he's in league with the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub, and that's how he's able to cast out demons. Now imagine that. You know, I don't know if you guys know uh, Beelzebub. Um, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy accusation that they, you know, extended to the Lord. Beelzebub. We're not 100% sure where this came from. We know back in the Old Testament, there was a time when the king of Israel, he sent you know, messengers to seek Baalzebub, a little different. Uh, he was the god of Ekron. He was the god of the Philistines. Literally, it means a lord of the house. Uh, eventually, it came to mean lord of the flies. It became a derogatory statement to the point of lord of the flies and flies land on dung. 
And so what they're saying to the Lord is, man, you're not casting this out by, you know, righteousness. You're not casting this out, you know, with any, you know, good authority. You're in league with Beelzebub. And it was a crazy, crazy accusation. You know, that's what we see takes place here. That's probably part of the reason why they said this is because they wanted to slander him. You know, one person said when Jesus' enemies were helpless to oppose him by fair means, they resorted to slander. You guys know how it is. Huh? When you get in an argument with somebody, and let's just say you can't win the argument, let's just say you're wrong, what do you do? You start calling them names, huh? That's kind of what they're doing, man. It's like, man, we can't fight this guy. So, you know, they start demeaning him. It was a, it was a low blow to the most high God. That's what they were doing, right? And so that's why they did it. Another reason that's really interesting is this, that the Jewish culture, they believe that the only way you could cast out a demon is if you knew its name. And we do see Jesus one time asking them, hey, what's your name? My name is Legion. We are many. And so Jesus cast out that demon. But what we see is this demon, this man was mute. And therefore, how could the man tell Jesus his name Therefore, there's no way they think that Jesus could cast out the demon. Why? Because he couldn't speak. And therefore, they come to him with this accusation. So what the Lord does is he responds to them. We're going to come back to verse 16. We see his response here in verse 17. It says, but he, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, listen, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. The Lord's there doing an incredible work, love and authority, casting out demons. They come to him and they say, the only reason you do it is because you're doing it by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And so the Lord says, no, that's not what's going on. Your logic is wrong. You guys are way off. And he gives, first of all, a principle that I think all of us here even know. You know, we don't have to go to school to learn the fact that a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. You know, we don't have to be alive too long to realize that a house divided against itself will not stand, right? It will not survive such a civil war. I mean, most of us here probably know that saying, united we stand, divided we fall. Everybody knows that. And so how ludicrous are their accusations against the Lord? Jesus says, think about what you're saying. You've got to know the primary principle of success in both kingdoms and homes is the principle of unity. He says, first of all, we see that principle thought. And so then what he does is he makes it practical. In verse 18, again, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? You see, what's true in principle is true in practice. If Satan is divided against himself, how can he stand? And, you know, we need to know this, you guys. Let me tell you something right now. Satan and his demons are united. They are. The church, a lot of times, is divided. And that's why we are so weak. But Satan, let me tell you something. His organizational skills, his unity against the forces of righteousness are impeccably united. 
And the Lord says, listen, man, your logic is wrong. You know, know the principle and know the practice. That's not what's going on. If Satan started fighting against himself, he would not survive. That is not the strategy of Satan. He wants to make them think. He wants to reach them. You know, he wants them to know a couple of things. Like I mentioned to you guys earlier, who is our enemy and who is our ally? You know, a lot of times we think, well, my wife, she's my enemy. My husband, she's my enemy. You know, or he's my enemy. My friends or my boss or whatever it is. But what does the Bible say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a struggle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's why we have to fight this fight, not with carnal weapons, but with spiritual weapons, with prayer, with fasting, with seeking God, a heart of obedience, understanding the word of God. You see, behind these things, a lot of times I think Christians, we go to extremes. Either we think Satan's behind every door or we think that he is not behind any door. And what I've learned so much more in life as I continue as a Christian is you've got to have that biblical balance. You have to be in that place of reality. And the bottom line is, in many lives, even maybe here today, the devil has a stronghold. The devil has a stranglehold. Why? Because we're not fighting fire with the weapons of righteousness. And that's what the Lord is trying to teach them. They say, hey, you know, the only way you're doing this, it's Beelzebub, you're in league with him. The Lord says, that's not a good principle. It doesn't work in practice. And by the way, I'm going to make it real personal in verse 19. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. You see, they had, you know, guys linked up to them, their very sons, casting out demons. And basically, Jesus said, if you condemn me, you condemn yourself. All he's trying to say is, listen, you guys, you know, you're not reasoning correctly. It's amazing to me what happens when you want to just get rid of Christ. When you want to get rid of God, what do you start doing? You start saying that we have come here into existence by aliens. They planted us here. We're here, you know, by a random process of evolution. You know, by a series of fortuitous occurrences, man. All random chance. And you know, what did the Bible say? That the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the arguments that they give against the Lord carry absolutely no weight whatsoever. You see, it's not the devil that Jesus is working with. It's not darkness. It's not that type of division. Jesus says, let me tell you what's really going on. He says right here in verse 20, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's really going on? When the Lord changes a life, When the Lord takes someone and he plucks them out of the fires of hell, when there you were in chains and in darkness and in bondage and in bitterness and addiction and affliction, what really happened? The kingdom of God came upon you. And that's what the Lord is saying here. It's not the kingdom of evil. It therefore must be the kingdom of good is the kingdom of God. And the cool thing that we see here is not just the kingdom of God, it's the finger of God. And that's a pretty impressive thing when you think about it. It takes us to a couple of places. One guy said this, Jesus says finger, not hand, not arm, which indicates that it only took a motion of God's finger to make demons flee. You think about that, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? 
Some of you guys here are pretty buff, right? How many of you guys here are buff, just out of curiosity? Like I am, I bench press 325, right? And there you are, and you use your chest, and you use your back, and you use your arms, and you use your hands, and you're just, oh, man. But imagine if your friend came over one day, and he said, hey, let me try that. And he goes with his finger, and he does that, you know? I mean, you got to admit, that would be kind of impressive, right? In one sense, that's what the Lord is saying right here. He's saying that, man, in order to defeat that demon or any number of demons, all it takes is a finger of God. It's not his fist, not his hand, not a kick, not a punch. Simply the finger of God will defeat all the combined forces of hell. That's what the Lord is saying. You know, and we see that in the cross. We see that in the Lord. And that's why it's so important for us to come to him and to let Jesus be the Lord of our life. Absolutely. You know, it's not us trying to drive better. That's not going to work. It's us giving him the keys. It's us surrendering absolutely to him. And then he does a work that's just so amazing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, He disarmed all principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them. Man, he has disarmed them. In Ephesians 1, 21 through 22, it says, At his resurrection, all the demonic realm were placed underneath Jesus' feet. So all those demons and all those devils that are creating so many problems for many people, sometimes even in the church, are all under the feet of Jesus. They've been disarmed by Jesus. That's why it's so important for us to what? To come and get behind Jesus and let him plow through our enemies. But our problem so many times is we get in front of the Lord and we get beat up and we get battered and we get bruised. We need to come to him and just allow his absolute authority over the demonic realm. Give us the victory. Because if not, if we do not live such a life of absolute surrender in which we are following the Lord, then the devil will have a field day with you. And for some people, unfortunately, that's where they're at. Even Christians. Even Christians because they're not really surrendered to God. And we have to be completely surrendered to him. Another interesting aspect of the finger of God can be traced back to Exodus chapter 8, verse 19 as well. Um, You guys remember the story? I know some of you saw the movie, um, you know, the Ten Commandments and Moses was used by God to bring the people out of bondage, right, in Egypt. And so all the plagues began, right? You guys remember that? And in the beginning stages, if you remember, you know, Moses would do the plague, it would be supernatural, and then the musicians would counterfeit it. You know, it was a lying wonder. And so they would do their thing, and the musicians would kind of counter it. And then Moses would do his thing, and then the magicians would kind of counter it. But eventually it came to a point, what? Where the magicians, man, they pleaded with Pharaoh, and they said, man, this is the finger of God. You can't fight it. And I think in one sense, that's exactly what the Lord is saying right here. He's saying, listen, only the true and living God can do this. It has his fingerprints all over it. And Jesus is saying this about himself. You know, I know many of us here can attest to being touched by that finger of God. And we've got his fingerprints on our heart. I pray that we would continue in this because it's so important, not only for us, but for others. You see, we get a visual of this whole thing. Look what it says in verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor 
in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Jesus says, let me tell you what's really going on. I'm not in league with Lucifer. I'm not bonded with Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God has come upon you. And there is the devil, man, and he's got all his people and all his possessions and all his uh, spoils and all his plunder. And he thinks he's, you know, all this great, you know, strong man. And in one sense, he is. He's much stronger than us. You know, we're no match for him. But he is no match for Christ. And so when Christ comes, what does Christ do? You know, Christ, you know, overpowers him. He binds him. He strips him of his armor. And then he goes and he plunders and he takes the people that were taken captive by Satan, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, to do Satan's will. And that's what the Lord is saying. This is what really has happened. You see, God can use our lives. And there you see in 2 Timothy, when Paul the Apostle is getting ready to die, Paul the Apostle was a crazy missionary. I love that guy. He loved the Lord. He was not distracted. He was not caught up in this world. He was not cozy. He was not comfortable. He was on fire for God. And we know that. You know, one day when we go to heaven, it's going to be so cool. We're going to meet the Lord. But then, man, I know me. I'm going to go and find Paul. Where's Paul at? I want to find that crazy guy, man, that was just totally, recklessly, absolutely abandoned to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's about to die, he wants to pass the baton on to Timothy. And so he's writing his letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And he's telling him, man, this is what you got to know. Preach the word. Man, one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account. Do the work of an evangelist. If you're a soldier, don't get caught up in this world. And so he tells them, this is the way we win. You know, we go and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all in humility, correcting those in opposition, that perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they might be freed from Satan in whose clutches they've been held captive. You see, it's a wrestling match, you guys, that we have. You know, I know a lot of times we don't realize this, but man, it's so important for us to know. Jesus said, this is what's really going on. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm free. You know, I got out of prison. Well, cool. Are you going to help anybody else? I mean, who helped you? Who reached out to you? Or will you get caught up in your own life? Paul the Apostle says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ is in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, he bore the marks for the gospel of Christ, and we need to do the same. And you're here today, and you're thinking, well, Manny, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. You know, you know what? In one sense, you are. All of us here, we come together, we huddle, we say, break, and then we go out into the world, and you are the light of the world. You are soldiers of Christ. You are evangelists for the Lord. And you got to shine, and you got to just, I don't know about you, man, but I just, you know, you want to share the Lord with everybody. Of course, I mean, I know that doesn't always work because you're going to get in trouble because your boss pays you to do what? He pays you to work, right? You know, but a lot of times, uh, I don't know, man, it's just that passion that we have. I know this, and this is why I even mentioned the missions trip, and this is why I mentioned this. Because even me, I could waste time. I just waste time sometimes, you know? 
I don't know. We've got to be so careful. We're fixing up our house. I know I find myself spending a lot of time there. And don't get me wrong, you know, you've got to protect it from termites and stuff like that. If it's falling down, it's okay to fix. But, you know, how nice is nice. One thing I've learned is this, is that if you have a house, you're never done, huh? <laughs> and so you go, and you, know, you go to heaven one day and save it for a guy. And God says, yeah, man, you spent a lot of time on your house, man. Spent a lot of money on that, you know? And I've learned this. I've learned that, you know what? I've got to be a better steward with my time. You know, I've got to be a better steward with my treasure. I've got to be a better steward with my temple. We've got to be a better steward with the truth. All I'm saying is this, you guys. Be so careful that you don't miss sight of the fact that there are so many that are being held captive by the devil. I mean, picture yourself, if you could, you know, kind of like this. You know, there's a hostage situation right there in Valley Boulevard or Valley Mall, Right? And, you know, and they need somebody to come and to kind of free them from that hostage situation. And they say, okay, anybody here at Calvary Chapel want to go and help out with the hostage situation? Would anybody here say no? I don't think so, right? I mean, you would say, yeah, I want to help out with the hostage situation if I can. And that's just the bottom line of what's going on. You see, we have to help because so many are being held hostage. You know, these guys were coming against the Lord. Talon is in league with Lucifer. Talon has got a bond with Beelzebub. These guys right here were so off. And basically we see the Lord telling us now what's really going on. We even see in verse 23 what's really going on. It says this, that he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me, here it is, gather with me scatters abroad. Question, are we a gatherer or are we a scatterer? And the Lord really makes that extinction right here. One of the things I've learned is this. There's no place for neutrality in the Christian life. The man who stands at a distance from the good cause automatically helps the evil cause. A man is either on the way or in the way. And we've got to make a decision, you guys. Jesus was telling them and he's telling us, listen, there's no middle ground. We can no longer straddle the fence. We can't have one foot in and one foot out. We have to make that decision. Like Joshua said, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Like Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God and he really died for these people, what type of decision will we make? We have to make that decision. I am for Christ or against him. And if anyone thinks they can walk away and live without making that type of decision, then they're deceiving themselves because they are therefore against Christ by not making that dead cast decision today. You see, in looking at this, we see the Lord teaches us some really, really heavy things. Look at verse 24. It says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Have you ever met someone who's demon-possessed? And have you ever had them there? Um... There's a lot of people out there like that, believe it or not. There's a lot of people who are possessed. There's some who are oppressed. Um, again, we've got to be careful as Christians. We've got to know that you know, God you know, will not allow a demon to 
you know, be a roommate with him. And so as Christians, you can't be possessed. But as a non-Christian, you can. Sometimes drugs open those doors. Uh, sometimes, you know, Santeria or some other weird type of teaching that will open those doors as you begin to dabble with demons, contacting the, quote, dead, you know, having your fortune told, things like that. Horoscopes. A lot of people, it's crazy. They're Christians and they are into astrology. You're opening doors to demons. See? But when that happens, and if you were to ever find someone, and you've got to be prepared, I think God won't send anyone our way who's demon-possessed, because why would He send them your way? You can't do anything for them. Why? Because you haven't been praying and fasting. You're not prepared for the battle. Why would God send one your way? But wouldn't you want to be ready? Say, Lord, if there's someone over there who's tortured and demon-possessed, I tell you what, I'm going to fast right now. I'm going to get on my knees right now, and I'm going to start getting ready for this. It's kind of like when you played baseball. You played with 12-year-olds, and that was fun. And they went into high school, and you had fun. You know, made the freshman team. You made the varsity team. And then one day, maybe you went to college. You're playing baseball, and you're like, wow, this is cool. And then one day, you get the phone call, and you're like, wow, I got drafted by the best team, the Dodgers, right? And you're really excited about that, right? <laughs> and you make it to the big leagues. Well, when you start casting out demons with the love and authority of Jesus Christ, I think in one sense, now you know, you're, you're in that place. I'm not saying that you're a better Christian than anyone, but all I'm saying is that you're walking in power and you're walking in the Spirit and you're ready to do things God's way. See, how many are in the big leagues? How many people are really, you know, setting people free like this? Now, here's a misconception in the church, and I think there's a lot of people that they don't know this. They think this. They think that if I find a man who's demon-possessed, all I have to do is make him receive Christ. That's a misconception. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen, But when we read the Bible, that's not what we see. Usually, what do we see? Usually, what we see is the Christian wrestling with the demon. That's what we see. We see that in Paul. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that with Jesus. And even what Jesus teaches right here. You know, this guy didn't get saved. It's not like the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of him or even came upon him. All this guy did, the demon came out of him. That's what we read right here. The demon came out. The Lord says in verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. What do demons look for? They look for another body to inhabit. Sometimes they can even inhabit animals. We see that in the pigs. It's a crazy thing. Why do they want to inhabit bodies? Because they want to be an instrument of unrighteousness. Just like a tagger. What does he look for? A spray paint can, right? can of spray paint. What does a violent man look for? A knife. Give me a gun. Demons look for bodies that they can inhabit, they can say things through, they can do things through. But this one right here, it found none, and so what ends up happening? He goes back to the house that he came from, that's the man, and when he comes, what does he do? He finds it, it's all swept and put in order. He's like, wow, the guy cleaned up his house. You know, the rooms can be now inhabited. He swept, he mopped, he planted some flowers out. There's a whole bunch more room now for me to go seven more demons and come back and live inside of him. And now the last state of that man is worse than the first because the demon went out, but God was not welcomed in. See, and these are things that I think we need to understand. You know, because you want to cast out demons and you want to, you know, be a soldier for Christ. 
And you don't do it on your own authority. You don't say, I command you to you know, leave. No, you do it under the authority of Christ. Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. Right? But you've got to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the point that we see is significant here is that the Holy Spirit was not occupying the man's heart when the demon came out. No true spiritual change had been wrought in him. He stopped drinking, he stopped fighting, he stopped shooting up and he stopped throwing up. The demon's gone, the drugs are gone, he got a job, he brought a house, and from the outside things are looking pretty good, he's got a pretty girl, and pretty soon they're going to have a baby. But things are not really what they appear, because God is not living inside of them. Lenski said this, all we may say is that this man who was once the victim of the demon's violence so that everything in him was unclean and disordered through the demon's presence is now quiet and leading an outwardly undisturbed life. Yet, it's a life that is apart from God. And you see here what the Lord is saying is, listen, man, you got to make sure that you understand that the demon goes out and then God comes in. You guys are Christians that are here today. We know that our body is what? The temple of who? God lives inside of us. I love what Ephesians says. It says in chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You know, that's an amazing thing to know that God lives inside of us. You know, but behind all these lies, and a lot of times, man, people, they're being influenced by Satan. You know, and we need to be able to see as Jesus sees. And I think a lot of times we are short-sighted in understanding the real reality of the situation that's before us. Remember when Peter was speaking to Jesus? You know, Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to die on a cross for your sins. And Peter says, Lord, no way. Far be it from you, Lord. It'll never happen to you, Lord. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. I know who's talking through you. It's the devil. And therefore, he was able to identify the situation with discernment and address it in a way that was proper. We know even, uh, I remember my father-in-law, he's kind of a funny guy, man. You know, um, he would always say whenever something would go bad, even when he would lose his keys, it's just the devil, you know, it's just the devil, you know. (laughs) And, you know, I know not everything's the devil, but sometimes it is. You're no match for the devil. I'm no match for the devil. I'm no match for a demon, neither are you. So why are we trying to fight the demons and the devils with our own strength? See, that's why we have to come behind the Lord, casting out demons, filling them now with the Holy Spirit so that God would live in them. You know, as Jesus was teaching this right here, and it must have been pretty Pretty incredible, man. Just casting out demons, standing up to these self-righteous Pharisees, sharing things that are really heavy, you know, about demonic activity. Apparently, there was a lady in the crowd who kind of got emotionally caught up and excited. And we read in verse 27, And it happened, as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd, she raised her voice and she said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, usually when someone gets emotionally excited, what do we usually do? We're like, ah, no big deal. They're just kind of getting excited. But Jesus corrected her. 
You know, she's all, wow, man, your mom must be amazing. You know, the beginning of Mary worship is right here, right? The one that bore you, man, and the one that nursed you all. I bet she's incredible. And the Lord just says, you know what? More than that, you know, and in the Greek is kind of interesting. He says, on the contrary, the one who was blessed in life is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. That's the one who's blessed. You know, and it's important for us to understand that. You know, sometimes we think, well, blessing is good health. Blessing is a lot of money. I hear a lot of people say that. I got a lot of money. God's blessed me. Well, maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. You know, maybe it would be better for you if it was taken away so that you would be completely dependent upon God. All I know is this. Sometimes that kind of stuff can get in the way. But there you have this guy over here. He's poor physically. Maybe he's not that strong. But spiritually, he is blessed. By God. You see, the way that we get blessed by God, and again, it's not just financial and physical. It's not just superficial stuff. We're talking about somebody who's sold out and surrendered to the Lord, used by God. One day they'll finish the race because they have fought the good fight. The one who gets blessed is the one who does what? Who hears the word and they also keep the word. Jesus said in John thirteen seventeen, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Huh. Because I know a lot of times people will say, oh, the Bible study, the Bible study was a blessing. Well, maybe a little bit, you know. Or they'll say, I learned this. And even myself, I'll say, you know what? I taught this. What a blessing. And God will say, you know what, Manny? That's not the real blessing. The real blessing is not hearing the study. The real blessing is not teaching the study. The real blessing is living the study. That's what Jesus says. More than if you gave birth to the Messiah is you and I living a life of obedience. And the cool thing is this. He says not only just obedience, it's the word keep. And in the Greek language, what it really means is you protect the word of God. Both to keep and observe, they really fall short as a translation, which means to guard the word of God by keeping it safely in our own heart as the most precious treasure in life. And by you and I allowing no contradiction or no alteration whatsoever to the word of God. Sometimes we're having problems. And here we are today. We're having problems. And we're crying. And we're like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And the Lord says, it's real simple. You've got to start reading your Bible. <laughs> you know, you read your Bible. Have you been reading your Bible? Go home. Read it right now. No, I'm saying <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way. I'm like, man, I want to leave and just try to you know, apply this study. But you know, you read your Bible, you saturate yourself in the scriptures, and you really heed it, and you guard it, and you just don't let anything get in the way. I don't care what your crazy television show is that you love so much, or what you got going on. You know, nothing gets in the way of you saturating yourself in the scriptures. You know, my pastor always used to tell me, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. And so we get into it, because we treasure it. More than... Food or, you know, my necessary food, more than gold, more than Hershey's chocolate bars. I mean, you name it. Now. Psalm 8411, it says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God will bless you as you live that life of obedience. And so the Lord is speaking to all these people, man. But for some reason, you know, they're already determined. They're not going to change. They're not going to change. And so look what ends up happening. Again, go back to verse 16. It says, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. 
verse 29, And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it, except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. You know, people want a sign. You know, you want me to really absolutely surrender to God? You want me to live a life of obedience? You want me to die to self? You want me to go on a missions trip? Well, give me a sign. And God says that is evil and that is wicked. He says, I've already given you the sign. What is the sign? He died and rose again. Right? That's the sign. That's all we need. Sometimes God will speak to us. It's so cool. The Lord, he continues to do little miracles and stuff, but he doesn't have to. He's already done enough. You know, when Jonah disappeared into the jaw of the sea monster, his career seemed to be ended, but it was not. He returned alive and warned the Ninevites according to God's will. So also when the Jews killed Christ and laid him in the tomb, they thought that his career was ended, but it was not. He rose again and he returned and he continues his work even today. See, there's a sign of Jonah and there's a sign of Jesus. That resurrection is all we need, you guys, to completely consecrate our lives to Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to do anything else. He's already done enough for us to be completely committed to him. But unfortunately, not everybody wakes up. And so look what ends up happening. It says in verse 31, The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. One day we will all stand before God and we will give an account. For those of you that know Jesus Christ, we're going to stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. And who will reward us based on our faithfulness, our faithfulness to his plan, not your plan. He will reward us based on the motives of our heart. And we'll stand before him one day, give an account. For those people who don't know the Lord, one day they will stand before him, Revelation 20, at the great white throne judgment. And what I shared with you guys earlier is so important. Real simple study. Know your enemy, know your ally. Number two, listen to the Lord. Number four, I mean, one, two, three, four, love the Lord and live for him. Real simple, you guys. And that's what God wants. Here he says, listen, man, there was a time in 1 Kings chapter 10, the Queen of Sheba, you know how far she traveled? 1,000 miles, over 1,000 miles. Some of you here are like, man, I got to go a whole mile to church, two miles. Some of you make the drive. It's a blessing. It's beautiful to see. The Queen of Sheba, though, she traveled 1,000 miles. A Gentile woman traveling in dangerous terrain. But why did she go? She wanted to listen to the wisdom of Solomon, right? And the Lord says, man, there's a greater than Solomon here. You guys, the greater than Solomon is who? Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying it's just coming to church. I'm saying it's opening your Bible. I'm saying it's opening your heart and really listening to the wisdom of the Lord. 
And then he gives a second example when he says, man, verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. You guys know the story of Jonah. A lot of you do. You know, Jonah was a prophet from Israel who was sent to Nineveh. It was a very wicked pagan city, the capital of Assyria. And Jonah was called there to go, and he said no, and he went the other way. Why? Because Jonah didn't even care. But eventually God got him, God put him in the whale, God sent him out, he vomited him on the beach right there. And then he went to the Nineveh, and he didn't preach a fancy sermon. Basically all he said was, turn or burn. That's what he said. Repent or you're going to hell. Because he wanted them to. <laughs> he didn't care. And so if you hear a message like that, what would you do? You're like, I'm not going to do that. You know, you get all offended and everything, right? This guy doesn't even care, and he's just giving us this simple message of judgment. But what did the Ninevites do? Man, they repented. You know what they did? They fell on their knees, and they started weeping and crying over their sins and over the judgment that was coming upon their life. And they closed themselves with sackcloth and ashes, and they fasted, and they were broken. And the Lord says, man, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Why won't you repent at the preaching of Jesus Christ? I mean, he loves you. He died for you. He tells you about, yeah, judgment, but he also tells you about heaven. Why is it that we will not amend our ways? And so the Lord says to all those people out there, and maybe you're here today, and you're like, you know what? Even as a Christian, I'm not going to change. I'm going to keep doing my thing. And when you know God's calling you deeper and God is wanting more from your life, but you insist and you resist and you persist, I'm going to live my own life. God is warning and saying, you want to do, you want to take the case of the queen of Sheba and condemn you. I'm going to take the case of the Ninevites and it will condemn you. All I know is this, you guys. We're not messing around. We're not playing games. We need to know our enemy is real. We need to know the power of our ally, Jesus Christ. We need to listen to the Lord and we must repent of our sins. Very simple message from the lips of the Lord, you guys. He loves us so much. This King of glory, He loves us so much that He would be willing to say, listen, you guys, let's meddle with the middle. Let's handle the heart. Let's not have a little superficial Sunday today, man. Let's let today be a day of real deep examination. Some of you here are probably doing good, but probably not many. (laughs) I think for most of us here, it's a wake-up call. And it's not from me. It's from Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we come before you. We thank you so much for your love and your grace in our life. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love and that you would even warn us, Lord, not to live life for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would be caught up in the kingdom and that we would truly care about the many, many millions and billions of souls who are caught in the captive and clutches of Satan, Lord, and that we would do whatever our part is, Lord, to live in a way that we would be able to reach them. Bless your church, Lord, I pray 
that you just continue to work in the hearts of the Christians. And Lord, that we would fear you, we would hate sin. God, that we would keep your word. And that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, even today, because we know we can't do this. You know, we can try, but we can't do this on our own strength. Today, Lord, baptize us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We give you the keys because we can't drive. We ask that you take over, Lord. And I pray also for just everyone here, Lord, maybe some that are especially struggling or, or going through hard times, maybe some that don't even know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that you would draw them. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them. Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them. And that right now, even here, Lord, would be the day of salvation. And just as you guys continue to pray, if you're here today and maybe you've been going through struggles, maybe it's demons, I I don't know. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you drifted away from the Lord. Don't leave without taking a step of faith and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. Asking Him to come in to this situation. Asking Him to give you wisdom because maybe you're living in a time and a place of confusion and you need God's clear voice to guide you. If you need that special touch today, right where you're at, will you just raise your hand and we want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? It's a step of faith that God honors. It's a step of faith that only you can do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the humble people, Father God, that humble themselves, Lord, in public. I pray you would honor that, Lord. I pray that for those who need salvation, that today would be the day, Lord, that they would turn from their sins and trust in Christ, Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for those that's going through difficult situations, hard times, challenges. I know you're stretching us, Lord, but it's good. I pray, Lord, you give them that wisdom that they need. We thank you so much for loving us, Lord, not in light of us, but in spite of us, Father God. And I just pray today, please, Lord, help us. I want to pray a special prayer, Lord. Help anyone here who is entangled in the affairs of this life. Help anyone here who is living not for eternity, but living for this world and living their life for themselves. God, I pray that today you would allow us, help us to repent of that wicked, wicked sin. Lord, that we would truly, totally live life for you and not this world. We love you so much, Lord. I thank you for being Lord, such an awesome God, our King of glory. As we go now, Lord, be with us. Encourage us, I pray, strengthen us. We love you, we look to you. And we pray together in Jesus' name.